Hey guys, how's it going? And welcome to episode 38, top 10 things to let go of to live the best life. I honestly think that this episode wraps up a lot about what I have mentioned here and there, but it packages it well and it brings it all together for you to even have your own list and you can read this every morning. So I'm going to mention, I'm going to read out the list and then I'm going to break each one of those 10 things down. So the reason I came up with this is I was actually um, scrolling through my Instagram feed and I found, I follow a lot of like, you know, quote accounts and people that share really good quotes. And I can't remember who shared it, but I saw this good post and basically it said, today I will let go of. And there was like, a list of like 20 things and I thought fuck that's a good idea to speak about what things you should let go of in general and remind yourself every day of those things so it's top of mind for you to carry that through the day. Then I was looking at like the cover of my podcast artwork and it says mindset hacks to live a badass life and I'm like fuck these are good and I was like this is exactly what I want to be delivering today. This is what I'm in the mood for. It is something that's like little hacks. It's 10 things to remind yourself of and I'm going to have like good points of reference for you to think about certain things in your life and how they've negatively affected you and how you can, you know, start letting go of those things, you know, by replacing it with other things. Um, Because it's all well and good. There's all these quotes out there of like, be happy or, you know, be productive. It's like, yes, cunt, but how? So I'm going to be giving you how you're going to do these things and what you can focus on instead of focusing on these things so you're, you know, you're better equipped to be able to let go of those things. And then you can live the badass life. You can li- live a life with big dick energy. And you don't have to be a guy to have big dick energy, all right? And I read this really good quote that big dick energy is a man who has no problem drinking the fruitiest cocktail out there because he doesn't have to worry about it threatening his masculinity. Love that shit. So that basically goes for absolutely everything. It goes for being humble. It goes for not having to show off all these things. Someone with big dick energy doesn't need to show that because they know deep down that they're fucking killing it with just who they are, right? So it's a metaphor, obviously. Anyway, um, weekly wrap up. I've just been working a lot. Nothing really that interesting. Um, But basically, if you are doing the Rachel Dillon challenge, that starts well, this is being recorded on Sunday, so it starts tomorrow on the Monday. So definitely jump on it. It's going to be a fucking good time. And I've been doing all the mindset um, coaching and you get like weekly um, email modules. And then I do like forum posts and we do Facebook lives and all of that. So it's going to be a hoot. And I also just got my motorcycle serviced. It is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful piece of machinery. I love it so much. If you follow me on Instagram, you've probably seen it. A bunch of you guys were, you know, loving it as well sending me all these like love heart reacts love heart eyeball emoji reacts yes I agree it is the love of my life I love it so much if you haven't seen it it's this beautiful massive 750 Aprilia Italian stunning stallion which I love so much and fun fact I've actually been riding motorcycles since I was uh well 17 it was before I turned 18 my sister actually got a motorcycle And I was so excited. She brought it to Noosa. She was living in Brisbane. She rode it to Noosa one day and we had a spare helmet because she used to have a scooter. So I put the spare helmet on, jumped on the back of the motorcycle and she took me for a ride. And I was like, oh my God, I've like, I'm in love. And you know, when you know, you know, and true love lasts a lifetime. And that was one of those moments where I was like, I fucking know. So literally got off the motorcycle. My sister and I ran inside and I was booking my license. I think we even went that day to buy a jacket and a motorcycle helmet and it was all like it was just go 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 and then within a few months 
I was riding a motorcycle as well. So, yeah, I've been riding it. Well, that what now? That's what 13, nearly 14 years on and off because there's been a period where I have not had a motorcycle. So this one I've had for two years and I love it. Anyway, um, I was going to do a massive spiel on one of my pet hates, but I thought I don't want to go down a negative spiral of what I hate. But just a quick thing. I do get told on occasion that motorcycles are so dangerous and this and that and blah, blah, blah. It's like, listen, I ride a motorcycle. I'm well aware of the risks involved. Thank you for your unsolicited comment. But believe it or not, you're not original. I've heard it 50 fucking thousand times. And so has everyone else that rides a motorcycle. So if you see someone that rides a motorcycle, believe it or not, they're aware of the risks involved. I know it's mind-blowing, but they are aware. So you don't need to tell them that it's dangerous and that there are risks involved because amazingly them having been on one understand that. So that's my fucking pet hate. But anyway, apart from that stunning week, let's get straight into it. So what I'm going to do for this podcast is I'm going to name the list of top 10 things. I'm going to go through them all. Then I go and break down each individual one. And then at the end, I'm actually going to give you a bit of a brain fact, like a fun, interesting fact. And it is the benefits on your brain and what happens in your brain when you are trying something new or embarking on something different and what's actually occurring in your brain and how that benefits you, not just in that particular area, but in many other areas of your life. So that's quite an interesting little fun thing to add on the end of that. Okay, so let's begin. The top 10 things to let go of to live the best life. One, entitlement. Two, negative self-talk and limiting beliefs. Three, the need to be right. Four, toxic people. Five, the need for status and money. Six, jealousy. Seven, comparison. Eight, judging others. Nine, grudges. And ten, fear of change. Okay, so the first one, number one, entitlement. Entitlement is this idea that you think that something should have been given to you, should have been done for you, it should have been there for you, you deserved to have that person, that thing, you deserved to be there. Um, And then obviously when that doesn't happen, you feel hard done by, you feel like you're the victim, maybe you feel that you've been attacked or something's been taken away from you or stolen from you or snatched from you, all these things. So that is entitlement. The issue with that is that it causes you, you're always going to be in this state of kind of stress. You're in this, in this living in this gap of where you are and where you think you should be. And that gap is stress and it is anxiety. So this idea, and I always like, I always describe anxiety as the distance between where you are and where you think you should be instead of just being in the present and working on where you are and what you have right in front of you. It's this idea of like, I should have been there. I should have had that. That job that that person had, that should have been me. All these things. If you can let go of your sense of entitlement, you, that gap disappears. There's no, I should, I should, I should. There's only, I'm here right now. Now what can I do about it? There's no living in the past or living in the what if. That all disappears when entitlement disappears. Another problem with entitlement is that is the breeding ground for resentment. So if you feel that you're entitled to something and that doesn't happen, and often with entitlement, if not always, it involves other people. It involves other people allowing things for you or doing things for you in general, like normally. So if that doesn't happen, then you resent someone else, you know, 
you can resent them because they didn't do something for you or they didn't, you know, parent you the way that you should have been parented or they didn't provide this for you or they didn't give you this job when you know that they should have. The list could go on forever. If you resent someone, and I've spoken about this before, resentment, oh, fuck, I always forget who said it, but there's some really famous person that said resentment is like, I think it's Gandhi. Anyway, resentment is like drinking poison, expecting your enemy to die. So that's what happens when you feel entitled. You then, if you don't get what you think you should get, you then resent that person. Then the problem is if you feel entitled to something and you get it, then it strengthens your entitlement to other things. So the more you actually get things when you do feel entitled towards something and you actually, you know, that person follows through or the job comes through or whatever, if then one day you don't get that thing, then you you literally are quite powerless. You don't have the means or the resources to handle that situation. So someone that's always been handed everything on on a silver spoon or been what are you, what's the saying? Hand, no, being given something, being fed with a fucking silver spoon. Then when they're out in the real world and something doesn't go to plan or it doesn't go how they were raised and they realize that, you know, they're no better than someone else and they don't just get it for being who they are. They have to either work for it or they have to do something unique in order to achieve that thing. When they realize that, then they feel so powerless because they've always gotten what they have wanted in the past. So the more you get, then the harder it is to deal with it when you don't get it. People that have always understood the balance of like, if I work for this, I get this. If I don't work for this, then I don't get this. Then they have no sense of entitlement and they understand that there's a certain amount of effort involved if they want to get something. So that's the number one thing. Entitlement is the number one thing you need to let go of. Now, separate to getting things, this also works for within a relationship. Often we feel entitled to know something about someone's private life. You know, it's this idea of like, yeah, but you're my friend. How could you have not told me or this or that? I I see that a lot within relationships where entitlement. So you might not think that you're an entitled person because, you know, you've always worked hard for your, for what you've achieved. You've worked hard for your money. You've, nothing's been handed to you. You weren't born into royalty, whatever, but you might actually have entitlement within a relationship where someone might be private about something because it's their private life. And you think, wait a minute, but I should know this because I'm your best friend or I'm your girlfriend or I'm your sister or I'm, 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 you know, so you feel entitled to information that might not actually be any of your business, no matter how close that person is to you. So for example, a lot of people then, because they feel entitled to this information, use emotional blackmail to make that person feel that they should have told you that information because you feel entitled to their privacy. Then what happens if you don't get what you wanted from that person, then you use some sort of an emotional blackmail to get that information out of them. So here's an example. Let's say you ask someone a personal question about their life. It doesn't impact you at all, but you want to know about it. So you ask them a question. Let's say, have you had sex? Like let's say you're talking about virginity here, right? And you say, have you had sex? And that person, you know, you might omit information and say, no, I haven't. Okay. And then you find out later, maybe they tell you or someone else tells you that they actually had had sex. And then you go up to them and say, I can't believe you lied to me. That's emotional blackmail. And that's you being entitled. For me, if someone is omitting information about their private personal life and you then go and like spring on them with like, give me information about your personal life and they omit information, 
I don't consider that a lie. They are not indebted to you. You don't deserve to know the ins and outs. And they might not feel comfortable or confident enough to say that's none of your business. So they their way of saying that's none of your business is giving you an answer that they think that you want so you don't talk about it, right? But you are not entitled to that person's private life. So this The same thing goes with like pregnancy. When people ask, oh, are you pregnant? And, and the woman's like, no, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. And then it turns out that she actually is pregnant. And then you're like, I can't believe you didn't tell me when I asked. Like, none of your business can't. Like, why do you think that you, of all people, are the one that is entitled to that information? When someone is pregnant, they fucking announce it when they're good and ready. And if you guessed it earlier and they chose not to, like, not to open up and tell you that they actually are pregnant, that's, you know, still none of your business. That's just too bad, so sad. You guessed it. Oh, okay, you were right. But you can't then say, I can't believe they didn't open up to me or I can't believe they didn't tell me. It's this idea when someone might be going through something or have something on in their private life and then months later they open up and then you can be like, why didn't you tell me? Like, I'm so upset that, like, I thought we were closer and why didn't you... that is entitlement. So entitlement often happens for most people within relationships when you are entitled to someone's private information. So be very careful when you do that because you are actually driving that person away when you do that. You are making them want to open up less, not more. Number two is negative self-talk and limiting beliefs. So when we have negative self-talk and limiting beliefs, what happens that it becomes, we do this often. We really do this often. And the reason we do it often is, for, well, it's, it's, there's, there's two reasons here. Number one, it's because we genuinely did think it at one point or someone made us believe something bad about ourselves. But then the main problem is, is that the brain likes to think like thoughts. So when we have this negative thought, it's easy to think of a similar negative thought and then a similar negative thought and it goes on and on and on. And when you're in that spiral of negative thoughts about yourself and negative self-talk and limiting beliefs of what you are capable of achieving, when you're in that spiral, it's very easy to continue down that spiral. You're going with the flow of the current. If you try and go to someone who's very comfortable in their own skin, has a lot of purpose in their life, is really, really happy and say to them, think a negative thought about yourself. They might find a negative thought, but then it's not really easy for them to think of all these other negative thoughts because they're so ingrained in thinking like thoughts about their current life that they're very happy with. So their spiral of thoughts is this upward spiral of like really happy with my life. I'm really grateful with everything that's happening. I've got purpose. I'm enjoying my growth. I'm blah, 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 blah. So then they might be able to think a negative thought, but then they just go back to all the other like thoughts that they've got of all the thoughts that are normally ruminating in their head, right? You can get someone who's happy to then become depressed and you can get someone who's always in these negative downward spirals to become happy. But it's breaking the cycle of the thought patterns. Now, depression is something that I'm not going to cover here because that's a completely different topic. We're talking about a legitimate chemical imbalance in a brain and I'm going to do a whole podcast on that. But I'm talking about these limiting beliefs and negative self-talk and I'm not categorizing that in depression because you might have depression and that, but you might also just have that and not be depressed. So, I just want to make that very clear. They are separate. If you are someone that's always got the negative self-talk and limiting beliefs, what you need to be doing to let go of that is you need to implement circuit breakers in your life. Because like I said, like attracts like in everything, especially your thoughts. So if you're going to go down a downward spiral, it's just going to continue happening unless you can have a circuit breaker. 
Now, I mentioned this in my, I've got like a self-love podcast as well. And I've got a few things on these limiting beliefs and whatever that I talk about. But the main thing that you want to do at the start of the day is I, I would highly recommend that you go over this list at the start of every day thinking like you wake up in the morning and you think these are the things that I'm letting go of today. Bang, 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 bang. And if you are someone that does engage in negative self-talk or you've got all these limiting beliefs, I want you at the start of every day to implement a circuit breaker. Like what's the thought that I'm going to have that's going to snap me out of this spiral? Because the shorter you can make the time spent every time, then the shorter it gets and it gets shorter and shorter and shorter. So say you spend, you know, 10 minutes, every time you think a negative thought, you spend 10 minutes ruminating. If you can have that circuit breaker, then the next day it's going to be five minutes and then you might have just rumination for five minutes for about a week then you can get it down to four and three and two and then eventually you can start replacing them with all these much better thoughts about yourself so what you want to be doing is number one implement a circuit breaker thought I personally what I have and I created this when I was heartbroken so when I was really sad it wasn't that I was having negative self-talk that much but it was it was sadness over a heartbreak so when I was in these like slumps that I just could not get out of and I was so sad and literally it was like getting to a point of like severe self-pity where I was just like wallowing it was fucked up anyway I created a list in my phone just in my notes of funny things that have happened in my life or funny stories that my family has or that my friends have, things that have literally made me like belly laugh where I'm like tears streaming down my face with laughter. And I would add them to that list. I can tell you hands down, that is a fucking phenomenal circuit breaker. And you want to have as many as possible because some days one thing makes you laugh hysterically, but not as much another day. And another day, it's the other thing that makes you laugh. So the more things you can have on that list, the better. So when I would be in that, I would switch to this list. And the first one would be like, oh, yeah, it's good. The second one would be like, oh, yeah, that's fine. And then as I went down the list, I started lifting my mood, lifting my mood. Because I've started, I started bombarding my mind with all these hilarious, hilarious memories, right? I recommend circuit breakers to be things that you are completely in control of and that your thoughts are not going to get ambushed with. So for example, I don't recommend social media as a positive circuit breaker. I don't think there's anything wrong with it in and of itself if you're feeling fine. But if you're really sad and you're like, oh, go on social media. The issue with that is that you don't predict what you're scrolling through. You don't know what the next post is going to be. So there could be something that triggers more sadness there because you have not created this content. You don't know what's coming. So if you are trying to break the circuit, social media is not one of the things I want you going to. No matter how much you enjoy scrolling, that's not what you're going to. I want it to be something where you've curated something that is a safe space for you to break that circuit. Once you've broken the circuit, you're now in neutral ground. So you go from sad to then being in neutral ground. And what I mean by neutral ground is you've broken that cycle of negative thoughts and you've stopped it. For a moment at least, you have stopped those negative thoughts. Then you're going to think of one good thought. And it doesn't have to be so positive because I know it's really hard to be like, you know, with these affirmations of like, I'm, you know, so rich when you're literally in poverty and struggling every day. It's pretty fucking hard to believe. And I'm all for affirmations, but you've got to have smart actionable proper good affirmations that work so what I do is I talk about like the ladder sequence and this occurs in when you do um cognitive behavior therapy for anxiety as well what you want to do is you start with like something little that's believable and achievable okay that works then you take the next step up the ladder rung and then the next and the next it's you would never go from one step to the top rung of the ladder it's really difficult if not impossible to do that so what you're going to do is take these small steps so you want to think once you're in neutral ground 
you want to think of a a good neutralizing thought. So say your thoughts about yourself are, um, I, you know, no one likes me. I am ugly. Let's say that that's your negative thought and you think these awful thoughts about yourself and your appearance and that you're undesirable and all of that and you spiral, spiral, spiral. Then you have like a good circuit breaker, something that's made you laugh, something that's put you in a, in a lighter mood and it's broken that spiral then you want to go in with a more neutral thought so instead of being like I'm the hottest person in the world and everyone wants me because you just don't believe that right now you could then think of one two or three things that are like neutralizing but slightly positive so you could say I am lovable because I provide value with other people. I'm funny and I make people feel heard or I make people feel loved. That's a much better thought than thinking nobody loves me, nobody desires me, you know. So there's all – and then from that you can then take the next step up and the next step up and the next step up. So that's one of the many ways that you can sort of try and break that. But the main thing you want to think about is implement a circuit breaker when you're going down that downward spiral. Number three is the need to be right. So often – we can really put a thorn in a relationship because we so desperately need to be right. Now, I'm not saying you agree with the other person if you disagree with them. You don't have to do that. But the issue with needing to be right is sometimes you're in a situation where no one is going to be right. And if you feel that you have to be right, then you actually can cause a bit of a divide in a relationship or you can cause animosity with someone that you might not even know that well and you're having what could be an actual good debate versus needing to be right. When I was living in France, I learned something about their culture that I really, really loved. And French people in general, I'm sure it's not all of them, (laughs) this is a massive generalization, but something about the culture, they love to debate and they love a healthy debate. And they don't want to just, they don't want to say something and everyone's like, yeah, you're right. They're like, no, 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 no. Tell me what you, tell me what you're saying. Like they actually enjoy the debate even if it ends with both parties disagreeing, I think they like a clever, smart debate where there's a lot of cultures where if you engage in a debate, you can get angry quite quickly or you can get offended or you can't speak about politics or religion or sex. And there's, you know how you, there's that saying like, don't speak about those three things if you want a healthy relationship. I don't think that it's not, it's, I think that should be changed to don't feel the need to be right about those three things in order for a good relationship or in order to like, you know not hurt a relationship or not offend someone I think there's nothing wrong with having opposing views if you can respect and have the other person feel heard they if you listen to someone and you listen to everything they have to say trust me they're not thinking oh they know I'm right now so don't worry your pride will not be damaged if you hear someone out for what they believe in even if you completely disagree. But what I loved about it in France is that they genuinely enjoyed, and there was no anger at all. People didn't get offended because they know how to argue and they would listen to each other's points and they're like, okay, cool, cool. I get that. And they will like literally explain to the person that they've been heard because they clearly understand it. They're like, but have you thought about it this way? And then what about this? And what do you say about this? And then the other person gives their rebuttal and their re- and they genuinely love a nice even heated debate, but never angry and they're never attacking. They're never character assassinate, they're never rude. So when I say let go of your need to be right, I'm not saying don't engage in a debate, don't have the conversation, have the conversation. That's how you can better know 
who your friends are, better understand, you know, your family or the people that you're around. And it's kind of cool to be able to live alongside people, you know, lovingly in a healthy way while still having different opinions on things. You know, that's where evolution has really like occurred where you can have multiple different religions in the same city and you can have, you know, whereas back, back, back in the past, you could only have one religion in that city. And if you were the other religion, you had to flee that city. You know, that's fucking primitive times. Whereas now, if you look at it on a way smaller scale, I think that you should seek to understand. You don't have to seek to agree. You should seek to understand. And if you can do that, even if someone doesn't do it for you, I can guarantee you, you're going to feel a lot better. You sleep a lot better at night because you're like, I said my piece, I heard them and I let them say my piece. So I've done everything I can here and I'm happy because I'm comfortable with what I believe in. And I heard them out. And there's the off chance that because you hear them out, you might learn something new that you didn't know before. And you might not change your opinion. You might, but you might not. But you don't have to feel the need to win and be right. You can still have your beliefs and not be the winner in the argument. And that is where you strengthen a relationship. And that's where mature relationships unfold from that point. Another beautiful thing of letting go of the need to be right is if you are, say you're in a relationship and there's something moral going on that you're like, I cannot be with this person unless we agree on this thing. Like, let's say that is your threshold and like there's just one way or the highway. If you still can have this open conversation and open debate, even if it means the relationship ending, it eliminates the toxicity of someone feeling like they have to lie in order to be with you or you feeling that you have to lie in order for them to stay with you or for them to not know that this is going on. Like it keeps it honest and open and you may lose relationships. Some relationships might not survive it because they're things that you don't agree with. But better that it ends sooner rather than later. If it's a deal breaker, regardless, it's a deal breaker. So even in relationships, I think you've always got to seek to understand the other person. Even if it's something that for you is an absolute moral no-go zone, you can still hear them out and say, I respect that that's your way of viewing things, but this is for me, this is a non-negotiable and that's fine. You shouldn't ever have to engage in this crazy argument of anger being like, but you did this and you did that and it's wrong, it's wrong, it's wrong. If they genuinely don't understand after hearing you out, then Again, you don't need to be right. You can just walk away. Number four, toxic people. Now, I feel like I can't break down exactly how you're going to get rid of toxic people in your life, but I do have many podcasts about it. I've got the Narcissist podcast. I've got the Toxic Psychos and Red Flags. I've got Dealing with Cooked Duds. There's many podcasts that are covering those topics about toxic people. And I highly recommend if you've not listened to them and you have toxic people in your life or you've got people in your life that you think are toxic or you think are narcissists but are not sure, I highly recommend that you go back and listen to those. If you don't actively try and change how you engage with toxic people in your life or change the fact that you don't want them in your life at all, then the issue is, is that they're going to keep appearing in your life. Those toxic people are going to stay if you don't do anything to change it. And more toxic people are going to enter your life because unfortunately, toxic people prey on people that, that allow themselves to be hurt or manipulated. And if you already have quite a few toxic people in your life that you are treating you in a way that is below what you should be treated, 
then other people see that weakness in you and can take advantage. So I highly recommend that you do something about it. Go listen to those other three podcasts and get a very clear understanding of who the toxic people are, who the narcissists narcissists are and what actions you need to take in order to change that in your life so you can actually let go of the toxic people. Number five, the need for status or money. Now, I have no problem with people wanting money. That's absolutely fine. But there's a few things that there's, – there's a few issues that, that arise with money. Firstly, you should never feel that you need it because a need says that I'm not complete without it, right? Otherwise, you wouldn't need it. It would be a want, right? So it's fine to want these things and it's fine to be like, oh, it would be nice – if I had a lot of money, it would be nice if I could afford all those things. That's all well and good. There's nothing wrong with that. I have no issue or judgment or whatever. I myself would like to make a lot of money in my career as well. That would be nice. But when you get yourself into a position where you need money and you need status, you need to ask yourself why. Why is it that you need these things? Is it because you think you'll be happy? Is it because you think people will finally respect you? People will treat you differently or people will start to like you? Because both status and money are superficial things that are not really attached to who you are as a person. So to want those things to, you know, be able to enjoy is fine. But you need to let go of needing those things because those things are not going to get you what you think it's going to get you. It's not going to get you happiness. It is not going to get you love from other people. It might get you to be around people that might treat you differently because they think they're going to get something out of you or because they are scared of you. But a true relationship is never going to come out of those things um, because of those things. Like you might have those things and have a true relationship, but they won't be the catalyst for having a good relationship and for being happy. And there's this speech that Jim Carrey does that's really, really good. And in one of the, in a moment in the speech, he basically says, I wish that everyone could realize all their wishes and dreams. So they would then find out then and there that that is not where happiness comes from. In my opinion, happiness comes from you having a purpose, you strengthening your relationships and having healthy relationships and you always growing. It's those three things and, and working on your own health mental and physical. If you are always trying to have a holistic approach to being healthy, so you're not disrespecting your body or your mind. If you're always trying to have healthy relationships, you're not disrespecting other people. If you're always aiming to grow and evolve in certain areas or in all areas of your life. And if you have purpose, those are the keys to happiness. Money cannot give you any of those things and nor can status. So And like, I know people are going to say, oh, but money can pay for an operation. Money can whatever, money can this, money can that. Money can get you to a certain extent of health, but I'm talking about genuine happiness. No, it can't. Number six, jealousy. You need to let go of jealousy because jealousy creates a divide between yourself and the person that you are jealous of. You need to find a way to view the person that you are jealous of under a different light. Please go back and listen to my jealousy podcast. But in a nutshell, my main belief about jealousy, there's many different kinds of jealousy and I do break it down in that podcast. But my main belief about jealousy is that often we are jealous of someone that is, not always, but often we're jealous of someone that we don't have a true connection with or we don't truly understand. There are You know, you can be jealous of a sibling or a friend that you're close to and that's slightly different. And I do discuss that in 
in um, my podcast. So I won't go into that now. Listen to that one. It's called, I think, just overcoming jealousy. But what I mean about the, the one of the most common forms of jealousy is where you compare yourself to, you know, someone that's beautiful or someone on social media or someone on, you know, like a you know, maybe you're dating someone and he's got a really pretty friend and you're like, oh, she's so beautiful. I'm really jealous. I feel insecure. I feel, you know. So my advice, my biggest advice to someone that you are jealous towards is to reach out with them and try and form a true connection. The moment that person stops being an image that you're jealous of and starts becoming a human being that you have connected to, you have broken down the barrier and you start seeing them as a person. Yes, they might be beautiful, but then you might be able to see them for who they really are as a person. The same goes for someone like, say you're jealous of someone career-wise because they might be better at you than something. They might have more skills or they might be more talented in something that you want to be doing reach out to that person. That person could be someone that you are jealous of and competing against or they could be an ally and a mentor and someone that you connect with. You know, you could always, there's always two ways that you can look at someone. A way that's going to make you feel shit or a way that's going to make you both feel good. So you've got to choose, how am I going to interpret this person? Are they going to be someone that I am jealous of because I want what they have? Or am I going to learn from this person and am I going to try and get a connection with this person and maybe, maybe make a friend, hopefully. Number seven is comparison. Similar to jealousy, but not necessarily. But comparison, in my opinion, comes from this feeling of not being enough already. Because even if you were if say you had everything that you could imagine say you were like super skilled in your job were really really beautiful if you're not happy with who you are as a person I can guarantee you you will still compare yourself so comparison doesn't end when you've achieved all the things that you thought you needed to achieve comparison will always be there because it is a behavioral compulsion to do that it is like a tick that we have in our brain so if you're always comparing yourself then even when you have all the things that you think, okay, now I'm at this point where I don't need to compare myself anymore, I can guarantee you, your brain's smart enough, it's going to find something else to compare you against someone else. That will always exist. I think comparison ceases to exist when you become truly comfortable in your own skin with who you are. And that comes down to self-love, not having limiting beliefs, not having negative self-talk and growing like proper relationships with people. It comes down to this idea of having a purpose having like a reason to be here every single day, whether you're affecting a million people or whether you're affecting one person. Your purpose is, you know, what drives you every single day. The greater the purpose, the more you're focused on that and the impact that that has and you're less focused on needing to be like someone else or look like someone else and compare yourself against this, that will all fade away. I can guarantee you that. Number eight, judging others. This is so unhealthy to judge other people and you I think often we don't realize how much bad it does for us. Now there's some people that just do like really superficial judgment and they're like oh I really don't like that outfit or that's probably not going to affect your life that much. I mean it's not you know as long as you don't say it to their face whatever think what you want to think I don't care but judgment in the extent where you're judging someone on how they're living their life and their morals and it's like keeping you awake at night and you can't you know this, you know, because that person doesn't live a life what you think is an appropriate way of living their life, then you can't, you know, understand. And so you judge them and all this stuff. What happens with that? What, what's, so basically, this is how I look at it. 
When you judge someone so heavily, often, believe it or not, it comes from a place of fear. So normally when someone's judging someone, whether it's on their appearance or whether it's on what they're doing with their life, it comes from you looking at how what they're doing or how they're doing it and you're comparing it against how you're doing it. And if you find it to be a threat, that's when you try and cut that person down by judging them. You're trying to shake the foundations that they're standing on so they feel a little bit uneasy about the choices that they've made. They're a little less confident. They're a little less likely to go ahead with what they're doing or a little less likely to be as bold or to be as independent or to be as original because you're trying to basically shake the foundations. The problem with that is that you not you take the focus away from growing who you are as a person and you bring the focus on bringing someone down. So instead of you focusing on going up, you think, I'll just stay here. I just need that person to go down and then I'll be above them and then it's fine. When you could achieve the results of feeling good in a much healthier way and that is just by bringing the focus into yourself instead of keeping the focus on other people. The problem with doing that, obviously it goes without saying, that's a fucking cooked way of feeling good about yourself by having to push people down. But the problem with another problem with judging people and feeling the need to, you know, basically insult what they're doing or insult how they're doing or how they're choosing to live their life is that you're, again, always going to start seeing the worst in people. Like I said, the brain attracts like thoughts. So if you are always in this spiral ruminating thing of like, look what that person's doing, look what that person's wearing, ha, how dare they do that, ha. Do you think you're then going to turn around to the next person and be like, oh, you go, girl, you're fucking killing it at life? No, you're not. You're going to find something to judge them about. The brain likes like thoughts. Like attracts like. So then you become someone that starts doing it more and more and more. And then you realize that people, you know, it gets to a point where you're meeting people that your judgment means nothing to them. So then you start feeling even more insecure because you're like, what used to work for me, whereas like I was here and if I push someone down for further enough and this works very easily in high school if I push someone down further enough then I feel good about myself that's what bullies do bullies don't feel good about themselves so they pick on someone else to get them below them so then they are the ones to be feared they're the ones to you know to be respected quote unquote because they demand this respect right that's what you're now doing as an adult where you try and cut people down cut people down but now you're in an adult world you're no longer in a high school world so that technique only serves to hurt you because then you start getting you, you none of your attention is going to making yourself a better person you start judging more and more and more and more people you create a much bigger divide in all your relationships no one really wants to like get to know you that well because they just can't be bothered to be judged when they're around you and then you end up alone and you end up with a lot of um self doubts self um like negative self talk and limiting beliefs and all of that that's also where that stems from if you want to start feeling better about your st- about yourself try building up other people around you and one of my like main hacks for that is if you're someone that silently judges people all the time and you want to start curbing your you know that that idea that where your attention always goes to judgment straight away if you want to start to curb that what I used to do if I was you know walking down the street and I saw someone and in my head I made a judgment about what they were wearing even if I didn't say it, obviously I'd never say it, but if I had a thought, I would think, all right, I've made that judgment. Now I have to pick in my head, I've got to pick three things that I like about that person. And then I was like, oh, well, you know, they actually did their makeup beautifully today or they've got really cool shoes or they've got a really beautiful smile or whatever. 
But then by the time I walked past that person, after thinking of those three things that I liked about that person, just in my head, I instantly felt not just better about that person, but I felt better about myself because I thought even though I didn't say it to that person, I felt like I had done a nice gesture by thinking of something nice about that person. So you want to seek the good in people, not the bad. Number nine, grudges. You need to let go of grudges because this is what holds you in the past. If you are still holding on to a grudge, you need to finish that business off. And there's two ways of finishing the business off. Number one, if it's legitimate unfinished business where something needs to be said, you need to go and fucking say it and then let it go because you can't control the situation. All you can do is your part. You can't control how that other person reacts. But say you were in a relationship and it broke down in an awful way. Maybe they cheated on you and you feel that there was something left unsaid and you feel that you know they deserve to be pulled up on their bullshit, which I'm big on pulling people up on their shit then that is what you're going to do if that's what you feel is the right thing to do. You are going to go and say your piece, but you can't expect anything in return. This is literally just your way of like ending that um, feeling of having a grudge against someone. The other option is to move the fuck on. So you've got those two options because the alternative is for you to be holding this grudge while everyone around you is moving the fuck on with their life. Even the person that might have hurt you, even the, the person that might have cheated on you, you don't know where they are in their life. You don't know if they've f- completely fully reformed and now they're a good person and they just never really apologize to you or whatever. But this idea of holding a grudge is only hurting you. It's very much, very much like, um, uh, what, what was that I said? Uh, resentment. Holding a grudge is very much like resentment. It's this idea of like, you hurt me, how dare you, how this, how that. You don't have, if they were awful, you don't have to forgive them or like this, that's a very polarizing topic, the idea of like, do you forgive them or not? And if I forgive them, doesn't mean that I now forget or that I don't care. That's a different topic and I'll probably have to go into that another time. But what I mean by this is the idea that you can understand that what's done is done and that you're no longer going to let it affect your life. Because at the moment, it's affecting your life. You don't know if it's affecting the person that hurt you. You don't know if that's even like a blimp on their radar at all for them. So what you need to focus on is who is this hurting? Because the aim of a grudge often is to let the other person know that the situation is not okay so they feel uncomfortable. But then what happens is that time passes, you probably don't even speak to that person, but you're still holding on to that grudge. So you're not even achieving what you really, really wanted to achieve. You're really just hurting yourself and the ability for you to open up in the future to new relationships. So if there's something that was left unsaid and you really feel like saying it, say it. Give yourself a timeline to say it and if you haven't said it in that timeline, then you're never going to say it and then you have to move the fuck on. And I've got podcasts on moving the fuck on as well. So listen to that. Okay. The last one is fear of change. You need to let go of fear of change. Why? Because change is inevitable. And if you are resisting change, then you are resisting reality because life is always in a state of flux. The universe is always moving. Everything is changing. Nothing is permanent. 
Even the relationship that you are in right now, let's say you're in a romantic relationship right now, that's not permanent. You might stay with that person till you die. You might love that person till you die, but that relationship is going to go through many small deaths and many new rebirths. The relationship you have when you meet is different to the relationship you have when you go through a tragedy or adversity, and which is different again to a relationship you, that you have if you have children together. There's always going to be different eras of your relationship and if you are scared of change then it means that you're probably going to resist changing yourself and if you can't grow and evolve as relationships do or as life does then you're probably more at risk of losing the things that you fear losing so it's ironic but living a life that's so guarded where you're trying to protect what is and you don't want anything to change you want it to stay the same ironically puts you in a position of more risk because you're not going with the natural flow of life because everything changes and people change and people say that it's a bad thing it's like you've changed yes of course people evolve you can't you can't look at change as a bad thing people grow and evolve and you either grow together which would be lovely or you might not grow together which is what it is you know but then you then can grow in a different relationship now if you're looking at fear of change as far as like a job or fear of change as far as moving cities. The way I look at it as say, okay, for example, when I wanted to move cities, I was thinking this would be really cool. However, I've got a really good life here and I'm scared to leave that life behind because once I bite the bullet and I cut that cord, I can't return to the life as it was. I can return to the same city and I can probably return to a similar job, but my life will be different. I'm not continuing on that path. But what I always thought is that that life that I have right now is not permanent. I'm not, not going to be living that life forever. I'll have probably the exact same life that I have right now for another year or two before it evolves onto something else and then evolves again. So this idea of like, oh, but I can't leave this city. I can't leave this job. I can tell you right now, whether you leave it or not, it's going to change. Whether you control the change or whether the change controls you, it's going to change. So this fear of change is a bit redundant and it's a waste of your time fearing change because you're better off making the change and taking action to make those changes in your life. Like everything I've just mentioned before, the last nine points, you're better off making those changes yourself because if you don't make them, other things around you are going to be changing and you're just going to be in this reactive state instead of a proactive state making those changes. Like when you, know, when you do that bold move of, you know, to the other side of the world or where you buy that one-way ticket or where you decide to leave that toxic relationship and you know, be single instead of being in a toxic relationship, even though you fear being single. All these things are you making the change instead of the change occurring to you. So that's a choice and you need to get around that fear of change because change is inevitable. So you need to realize it is part of reality. Okay, now those are the top 10 points. The last thing I want to do is I want to go into what's going on in the brain when you try something new because all these things that I just mentioned here, entitlement, self-talk, the need to be right, toxic people, blah, blah, everything that I mentioned, I've given you tactics that you can implement them. You might already be implementing them or you might not. And if you don't, these are new things that you can try. The beauty of trying something new is that, of course, you're going to grow and you're going to have more self-love. You're going to feel better about yourself. But then there's also a positive effect that it has on your brain. And it's not just with these things. It's not just with emotional, like, self-growth things. This could be with playing the guitar. It could be with deciding to ride your bike every single day, you know, to work for something different. There's all these different things that it could affect, that, um, that you could be choosing to do to affect your life. But what's actually happening is that when you're trying something new, your focus in your brain goes onto that task 
And because it's a relatively new task, you're putting all your conscious attention onto it. What we do once we've learned something and it's like second nature to us is that it is our subconscious mind that takes over and does that task. And it allows our mind to get busy doing other things, our conscious mind, right? Until something becomes second nature, you're consciously putting an effort to do it. Once it's second nature, you no longer have to consciously think about it. Your subconscious mind takes over. So if you are in a situation where everything in your life is the same, nothing's changing, your thoughts aren't changing, you want change, you want some excitement, then I highly recommend to start trying new things in your life because what occurs is that your conscious mind now starts putting all this energy into this new task. You don't have time to think of these like ruminating thoughts that you've normally thought about. You don't have time to be thinking of, you know, the the present life that you live right now, which is really just an expression of your whole past experiences which have gotten you to where you are right now. You're putting all your effort into something Something new. So in a way, it's kind of a meditation because you're, fo- you're so present and focusing on what is right now as far as like this task that needs to get done. If you're learning a dance, the guitar, if you're learning a language, if you're learning whatever, if you're planning a move overseas, all your attention is going to doing that new thing. But then separate to that is that what's occurring in your brain is there's, there's way more activity occurring in your conscious mind. You're creating all these new pathways in your brain that didn't exist before. You're trying to forge new pathways. And as you start to do that, your focus will sharpen, your attention will sharpen, your ability to see a task through will get better. If you're someone that's always distracted and always you know, doing this and always doing that, often people that are constantly distracted and constantly on social media scrolling, can't focus, can't get anything creative done, feels that they're not productive at all during the day because they're in this slump, it's often because they're just exactly that, they're in a slump and not, not much is changing in their life. They've kind of gotten to this passive state where they're passively living their life. If you try something new, you are now shocking your system and your brain has to adapt to that shock to the system. It has to learn. It has to put in more effort. More connections will be made. More pathways will be made. And through that, you become a lot sharper, more focused. You can um, you can see through a task right to the end, your ability to set and achieve goals transforms completely. So even if you're trying something that's completely irrelevant, let's say you really wanted to get good at work, but you feel that you're distracted. Try picking up the guitar and try every single day doing 30 minutes towards the guitar. I can guarantee your focus at work will get better because you're making plasticity changes in your brain. You're learning to focus on a task, even if it's an irrelevant task. So start changing your brain for the better. Start making those new connections, new pathways Um, And that is the fun fact about how your brain um, responds to trying something new. So you can try all these 10 things that I just said and all the tips that I gave you, or you can just try a fun hobby. It doesn't matter. But anything that's new, you're putting your brain into like this this, um, active, proactive working state. And it's amazing what you can get out of it. Anyway, guys, thank you so much for listening. Highly recommend if you found this podcast useful, please share it, share it to your friends, share it on social media. Please rate and review the podcast. Um, That really helps me as well. So thank you so much for listening. Love you all. And be kind, be kind to your brains, be kind to yourself and other people. Don't take shit from anyone and especially don't take shit from yourself. Danke.